Here's another inspiring message from Northside Community Church, Sydney. This morning's reading is from Mark's Gospel, chapter 5, verses 35 to 43. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead but asleep, but they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. As they were completely, at this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. Good morning and welcome to Northside. If we haven't met, I'm Sam, one of the team here, and I know we've got a number of guests with us this morning, so uh, welcome. If you want to know who we are in a nutshell, we're a church where you can belong before you believe and you believe before you behave. That's what we often say here, and uh, wherever you are at in your faith journey, we hope, and their, their prayer, my prayer every morning before we get up and do this, is that you'll just, uh, through all of this, whether it's the music or the Word, you'll just see Jesus a little more clearly this morning. So uh, we're going to look at what He teaches us this morning through this Bizarre passage, and I'll get to that in a sec, but uh, is it just me or is this a really funny time of year? It's, it's that sort of Sunday. Did any of you sort of wake up thinking, what day is it? <laughs> it's, it's a good sign that we're, we're having a good Christmas holiday. I woke up in a day thinking, is it Sunday? Yes, I better go to church. You thought the same. We're all here. We're off to a good start. Someone told me it's the last Sunday of the decade. No pressure, but uh, last Sunday... The- <laughs> Last Sunday of the decade, make it a good one. Uh, so, but it's, it's, it's this weird time of the year, isn't it? Uh, where we're sort of in between uh, all of uh, the pine needles, they're all starting to fade and the Christmas trees looking a little bit worse for wear if you're into the fresh type. Uh, if you've got the plastic type, it's all fine, but all the wrapping is now in the bin and the recycling's been out for one round. And, and so we're in this weird space between uh, the end of 2019 and all that's happening in 2020. And when we asked uh, our Taramara church this morning at nine, who's excited for 2020? Uh, there was an absolutely non-resounding response to all of that. <laughs> Maybe it's because it's nine o'clock, they're still half asleep, but... Uh, but it could be for the other reason, and it's the reason why I want to talk about what I'm going to talk about this morning, is that for many people, we're in that weird space where we look back upon 2019 and we look ahead to 2020, and in some respects we should be excited and expectant about all that is going to be happening in this new year, but on the other hand, uh, the pains and the stings of 2019 are still all too real, right? Right? 
And so what do we do in this in-between moment, these liminal moments, as I call them? Some people have been busting to work out what a liminal moment is. A liminal moment is just the theological, psychological, smart way of saying those moments in between. In between uh, the past and in between the future. It's those moments where you're stuck in between that place where you can't go back, the point of no return, but you haven't quite arrived at your destination. And those liminal moments... Those liminal moments are those moments where uh, we are conscious of all that has gone past, that for some of you, 2019 has been a year of, of unmet expectations. It didn't pan out the way that you thought it would. Um, as your pastor, I know this, that uh, there's some of you that have had health crises that didn't last one or two weeks, it lasted six months. I think we've got Pat Jones in the house here for the first time this morning after, there she is up there after months and months and months in hospital, Pat. It's great to... Great to have you back in the house. But you know all too well that health issues, it didn't go the way that you wanted it. Uh, some of you have lost businesses. Some of you have had financial hardship. Um, some of you are, are still praying for that child that would come your way and it hasn't happened. That's why it's difficult to get excited about all that is ahead in the liminal moment. And that's why Samuel Chand, a leadership writer, yeah, he described the liminal moment as the hell hallway. The hell hallway. He, he describes it like this. He said, I can tell you quite candidly, the liminal space is hell in the hallway. By God's grace, I finally found the gate on the other side of the liminal space. It took far longer than I wished and it took far more effort and focus than I wanted to expend. What have I learned? I learned that I no longer flippantly quote scriptures to those who are suffering. (laughs) Now I often weep when I hear about the heartaches of people. I no longer have pat answers for them. I've learned to just be with them and sit where they're at, like Ezekiel sitting with the exiles by the river Chabar. I've learned a number of things about anxiety and depression that enable me to come alongside my brothers and sisters. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, help them learn how to be with the anxiety without it ever defining them or governing them. For those who want quick fixes, I found there aren't any and they never have been. You know, Chand realised that it's, it's in the liminal spaces that we learn. We, we learn about life and we, we learn from God. And that's exactly what happens in this passage in Mark chapter 5. There can be no greater case study of liminal space biblically than in Mark chapter 5. And when you see really what the heart of this passage is all about, it's gut-wrenching. Absolutely gut-wrenching. Before we heard the reading from Richard, there's a whole nother story which I cut out because it would cut into my precious sermon time. But there's a whole nother story before that that you can go and read in your own time for homework uh, from verses uh, 22 onwards. But really, there are two stories that are happening here in this reading. And the first story, you may have heard about it, was all about a woman who had a chronic issue with bleeding and desperate to be healed, seeks Jesus out in the crowd, touches him, and, and as a result, he stops to pause and talk to her. Now, the problem with that is, as she's doing that, Jairus, a rich leader, a lay leader of the synagogue, almost like an elder of the synagogue, uh, his daughter is dying back at home. And so Jairus runs to go and get Jesus. If I can just find the healer that everyone's been talking about around Galilee, if I can find him and get him to come back, maybe just maybe he can heal my daughter. And, and so Jairus finally finds Jesus and to his surprise, Jesus says, yes, I'll come and help you. And in his excitement, Jairus um, starts heading back to home with the hope that his daughter is going to be healed. Now, imagine the scene here. This is almost like, a, it's almost like, like, like the ambulance with the lights on. You've got Jesus in the back of the ambulance and Jairus has finally found Jesus and Jesus is, is heading down to heal this little girl. And it's almost like midway to the girl's house, Jesus decides that he says, stop the truck. 
I want to have a conversation with another lady. And in the middle of stopping the truck and having this conversation and looking for this lady that touched him, come these tragic words in verse 35. It says, while Jesus was still speaking, hanging around, faffing around, that's the Sam Amplified version, some men came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler, and said, your daughter is dead. What's with that? That's not the only time, and it's not the first time that Jesus does this in his ministry. What is with that? And it shows us something that is all too real for many of us, and and maybe you've experienced this in your faith journey throughout the years, but it feels like time and time again, God seems to operate in questionable delays. Have you ever felt that? Lord, I, I, need, I need an answer to this prayer now. I, I need something to happen in my health situation. I need something to happen with the business. Haven't you seen the profit and loss statement? Something's got to happen. And, and, and God doesn't show up. And so it begs the question for us this morning, what do we as people of faith do when it seems that God is unreasonably delayed? What do we do with these unmet expectations of God and that's what we'll see in the lessons that we have from this passage. We see a passage full of God's questionable delays and then the lessons we learn. Here's the first one I think we learn from it. We learn that God's apparent delays often show or reveal his complex grace. Verse 30 from the passage before Richard read this morning. At once Jesus realised that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you ask us who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. We've got to remember, guys, the girl's dying. The girl's dying. Jairus is standing next to him as Jesus is looking around saying, Who touched me? Who touched me? Jairus is going, Who cares who touched you? My little girl needs you. Who touched me? And it, whenever you see these two sort of stories happening in parallel in the scriptures, really that's the Bible's way of giving you a grade five comprehension lesson. Really that's what's happening here. Compare and contrast. Compare and contrast. Whenever these two stories are there, the writers are saying, have a look at the difference of this. And what are the differences of these two stories showing you? And I think what it shows us first and foremost is the priorities of Jesus. The priorities and the perspective of Jesus. Here he is rushing off to heal this little girl with the rich leader of the synagogue. And yet the minute that a poor outcast, ceremonially unclean, can't go to the synagogue even to worship type lady, uh, touches him, he stops and he pays his attention to her. I think what he's trying to demonstrate to us there, because can you, can you imagine what it would demonstrate to us if she wanted his healing and, and people saw her touch him like this and then he just cast her aside and waltzed off down the road with the rich religious ruler? Can you imagine what that would be saying to people? First and foremost, it shows us that our God is a God of grace. But the reason why it's complex grace is it can really frustrate us. It would frustrate Jairus. It would frustrate us when we look at the time that Jesus spends with this woman, the way that he shows us over and over and over again. The New Testament is showing, I will prioritise time with the bad over the good, with the immoral over the moral, with the poor over the rich. God's grace always gets up in our grill. And as a result, here's what I think happens to us. You know, God's delays in his grace inevitably do and always create anger in us. And if, if you haven't felt anger at God's delays, uh, then you're not being biblical. You haven't read the Psalms. <laughs> remember, remember Psalm 88, my favourite? God, God, God delaying in that person's life. Even darkness is my best friend. Remember I said that, that's the Psalmist's way of saying, God, Daddy, you're a poo-poo. Right? 
If you're not angry and frustrated with God in the delays, you're not human. And in fact, Jesus in his humanity was angry with God at his delays. Remember in John chapter 11, where his best friend Lazarus dies? It goes down and in the shortest verse of the Bible, it says Jesus wept. And if you look at the underlying translation of wept, it wasn't just tears. It was literally the, the, the sound that a horse makes when it's backed up to the back corner of a paddock. The sound he made was... It was, it was angry. It was angry as he saw death in the face. And as, as he lost a best friend, he was angry. And so we, we have this anger that happens when God delays. But then at the same time, whenever we feel this anger within us, his complex grace reveals to us whether or not there's a fundamental issue of the heart. And here's what I mean by that. When we start, there's a difference between being angry and frustrated at God in his apparent delays, and then there's a difference between constantly being angry at God in his constant delays. It's almost like when you get a, a splinter in your finger. Has that ever happened to you? You get the splinter in the finger, and it happened about three days prior, and then the whole thing starts swelling up, and you sort of know that something's in there, but you can't see it. You know, if you find yourself constantly angry at God uh, for his delays, then it, what it might be showing you is that there's something beneath the surface that needs to get out. And really, fundamentally, what's going on in that, in that time is really our own desire to want to be in control. If I look at my own life, at the times where I've been angry and frustrated with God, really my logic goes like this. I'm not sure about you, but my logic goes, God, um, why won't you hurry up? Why won't you deliver on what I'm praying for? Uh, I'm preaching, I'm serving, I'm praying, I'm turning up. I'm, I'm doing all these good, I'm doing everything that you say that I should be doing and you still haven't turned up. And I know that you are the saviour of the world and I know that you created me and I know that you have eternal perspective, but who are you to understand the problems in my life more than me? <laughs> right? It's fundamentally self-righteousness. That, that is the splinter in our soul if there's this constant anger coming up in our soul. Can you hear the difference? It's, a, it's human to be angry at God when he delays. But a constant delay says, hang on, this desire to be in control of our lives really might be the fundamental issue. And so really the question for you is, you know, is, this, is this complex grace providing you in the first instance an opportunity to look at your own heart? Am I angry, angry, human angry the way that Jesus was angry? Or am I wanting to be in control, angry with God? His delays are a way of teaching you that. But here's the other thing. God's apparent delays also reveal the fundamental object of our faith. This is vital. You can't miss this. Like, let's go back to the two stories again, Jairus and the woman. Look, look at the two predicaments b- b- between them. I'll use a medical term. His predicament is acute. Hers is chronic. Doctors, does that make sense? Yep. Thanks, Shan. I can see you up there. Okay. Um, his, is a, his is acute. His is get it to the emergency room, triage. Something's got to be done in the next two to three hours. Hers is chronic. She's been bleeding for months. And yet Jesus stops and spends his attention with the person who's chronic. What, what, is, he, what is he doing with all of that? He stops to talk to the, the woman and, and he gives us, it really gives us an insight into a far deeper learning that we've got to have with Jesus because this is the thing that frustrates me with him. I... Seriously, if he wasn't the son of God, you'd think he's a little bit loopy from time to time. Because you look at the story just before Mark chapter 5, and you know that saying, like, if, if you are calm in the midst of chaos, then you clearly have misread the situation. <laughs> Sometimes I figure that's Jesus. 
And if you, if you read Mark chapter 4, if you just before this story, same sort of thing, this absent-mindedness. It's that story where the boys go out for a little bit of fishing in the Sea of Galilee and a giant storm whips up in the middle of the night. You know the one. And the, and the boys catch him sleeping in the middle of the storm. If you calm in the middle of the chaos, maybe you don't understand the situation, right? To which, to which uh, the disciples, when they go and wake him up, think, how could he possibly be sleeping in, in the midst of this? They yell at him, don't you care if we perish? To which I think that's their way of saying to Jesus, if you really loved us, we wouldn't be in the middle of the storm. I think that's the instinctive reaction that we have to God whenever there's unmet expectation, whenever there's tragedy in our life, whenever there's suffering that comes into our life. Lord, if you really loved me, this wouldn't be happening to me. What, what, are, you, what, are, what are you doing in all of this? And I think this is a beautiful way, both in Mark 4 and Mark 4, for Jesus to look over the top of the story, almost over the top of the pulpit this morning and say to you, son, daughter, my love is not incompatible with your tragedy. You can be suffering and I can still absolutely love you at the same time. I've proven it time and time and time again. Now here's the lesson. You ready for this? Verse, verse 35. While, while Jesus was still speaking, some men from the house of Jairus and the, the synagogue ruler came and, said, came and said, your daughter is dead. And then they, said to, then they said to him, why bother the teacher anymore? Why bother him anymore? Look, look, at the, look at their perspective. Look at their perspective. You know what? She's dead. It's too late. Leave the teacher alone next. Which fundamentally reveals a hard attitude, isn't it? That says, he was good in the back of the ambulance when we knew that he could or would heal her. But now that the situation's beyond his control, just give him the flick. Let's just, let's just move on. And I think what it, what it shows us is often a way that we can inherently treat God. How many people have lost faith using that sort of pattern of belief? You know what? God didn't turn up. I was praying hard for this and he didn't turn up. I was praying that my auntie wouldn't die and he didn't turn up. Like people have left the faith for years because of this sort of thinking. And what it shows us is, is this, this key question. You, you can't miss this. When we're in these moments of these unexpected delays from God, it gives us an opportunity to ask ourselves this question. Am I believing in him or am I believing in my agenda for him? Can you hear the difference? Am I believing in him or am I believing in my agenda for him? And I don't know about you, but my mathematical equation for impatience, the way that I define impatience, impatience for me is that area of the graph for all of you maths teachers out there. My impatience is that area of the graph between God's agenda for my life and my agenda for my life. Have you noticed that? Anywhere in between those two is where impatience lives. And are you believing in him or are you believing in your agenda for him? And that's what these guys, these guys just wanted Jesus because they wanted a little bit of Vicks Vaporub and a few antibiotics. Old school style. And he didn't deliver, get rid of him, move on. It's about our agendas. <laughs> to which... To which you can imagine the heartbreak of Jairus in all of this, right? The friends have deserted him. Jairus would be beside himself and Jesus gets to him and he says in verse 37 here, Jairus, Jairus, just believe. Just, just, just believe me, will you? Just, just believe. Which is a quick side note, that is the worst. Only Jesus is allowed to say this, okay? <laughs> right? Christians, 
Only Jesus is allowed to say, just believe in the midst of suffering, okay? Because how many of you have been hurt by Christians who are in the midst of your tragedy and your suffering and your loss, someone's come to you and said, well, just believe. You know, or even worse still, in the midst of your suffering, someone said to you, well, you know, maybe you're not happy because you don't have enough faith. Only Jesus gets to say, just believe, because what Jesus is trying to say here and what we have to understand with Jesus is, with Jesus, you always get way more and you always give way more than you ever bargained for when you come to him for something. He says, just trust me in all of this. Trust me. And I think he's saying to Jairus and he says to us, trust me because I will always give you what you would have asked for if you knew what I knew at the time. And you don't know what I'm doing here, Jairus. So trust me and watch. And I, I have to stand upon that in my own life when I'm in, the, in that liminal space and really take the tension that I feel in all of that as an opportunity to say, you know, I, need, I, 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 know, I know he calls me to trust him, um, but it's scary and it worries me and it causes an anxiety. But I, I, I have to realise that the issues that I'm facing, that anxiety is really my perception issue. It's an inside issue. It's not an outside issue. And that I need to do more time with God. His delays reveal the true object of our faith, our agenda for him rather than our belief in him. And here's the last thing that it shows us. That God's, God's apparent delays show us the full scope and the nature of his power. The full scope and the nature of his power. She's dead. She's dead, remember? She's dead to the extent like they've done the pulse thing on the side, they've done the, the fingers, the doctor's been around... Like it's pretty clear, it's pretty clear that she's dead because when Jesus gets in, he says, no, no, she's not. She's just sleeping, to which point all of the friends, everyone within the house laugh at him. And he says, fine, get out. <laughs> I'm going to do something. Get out. If you're going to laugh about this, get out. <laughs> and then something wonderful happens. Verse 41, after he puts them all out, he took the child's father, Jairus, and mother and the disciples who were with him. I love that he brings the disciples with him, by the way. You know, come, come watch, come watch how God's going to work in all of this. And he took her by the hand and he said, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Now, unfortunately, the translation here, Talitha kum, really doesn't do it justice uh, because Mark was writing, that's a, Talitha kum is an Aramaic phrase, and then Mark was writing in Greek to the Romans and then we're reading it in English. So would you agree we've got some translation issues? <laughs> Um, but uh, the word Talitha uh, didn't quite mean little girl. It's translated as little girl. Uh, but the best way to translate Talitha is sweetie, honey, uh, sugar. It was, it, was a, it was an Aramaic nickname for a little girl. Uh, so he says, he says, sweetie, sweetie, honey. And then you get to the word kum. And when, when Jesus says honey, Kum, what, his, what Jesus is not doing, he doesn't, he, doesn't, he doesn't get to her and then say, arise. <laughs> he sort of doesn't zap her with electricity, Star Wars style, you know, and just sort of raise the bed off the ground in all of this. Um, the, word, the word kum simply means wake up. And so, and so here's, here's the beauty of all that's happening. Everyone's laughing. You've got Jairus and the mother who are absolutely beside themselves. And he says to them, come watch this. The disciples are there. Everyone's still weeping and laughing outside the door. And what we, what we see in this picture here is he, he comes down beside the girl. And he says, honey, 
sweetie, 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 time to get up. Time to get up. Look at the power. Look at the power of this God that he can go and stare death in the face. He can go stare death in the face and looks at it and goes, Hupsy daisy. <laughs> what, sort of, what sort of God man can do that? Look at, the, look at the power of the guy. But look at the tenderness. Come on, sweetie. Wake up. All the words that we talk about, sometimes I just need to know that's the sort of God that calls me to trust him. The God that is full of power on one hand and full of tenderness in the other. And the grapple that you and I have got, Christians, this morning is um, we will always give and we will always get way more than we bargain for from Jesus when he calls us to follow him. <laughs> that's, that's both the most wonderful and the most frustrating thing about following Jesus. And we see this in the wonderful story of Jairus here. Like I said, Jairus went looking for Jesus for a bit of Vicks vapor rub and a few antibiotics for his sick daughter. And what does he get? A resurrection. A sweet honey sugar time to get up resurrection. And what it means for you and I this morning is that in, 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 in watching the example of Jairus, when Jesus turns to him this is, and says, Jairus, trust me, right in the middle of the fact that he knows that his daughter is dead, when Jesus says to Jairus, trust me, I understand all of this, that is the type of faith that Jesus calls you and I to as well. And you know, don't you Christians, there's no easy way through that. And there's no painless way through that. But in that hell hallway that we have in those moments, if they've hit you this year or if you knew it all, to it all, it will hit you. Just ask anyone over a biscuit and a cup of coffee after the service, particularly the esteemed ones over here with the greyer hair. <laughs> I'm so thankful to God that we see people in this place week in, week out. It's why it's so vital that we gather it's why it's so important that I can see these people that have been through these unmet expectations in their life and people who've lived not through one year or two years but multiple years of God's delays in their life and still haven't ditched him. And so this morning, all I want to ask you is from whose perspective are his delays unreasonable? From whose perspective are his delays unreasonable? Because last time I checked, God doesn't quite work on the Gregorian calendar. <laughs> right? It's sort of not like, oh, sorry, I forgot, guys. It's the 29th of December. I'll start kicking in a few miracles so we can seal this year off and we can get into a good one next year. <laughs> Each and every one of you, many of you as, as your pastor and as a brother who walks with, with you has, has demonstrated through the lives that you've lived that God's unreasonable delays to us really are the truth that God is never late. He's never late in his timing. Having noticed that about Jesus, he's never hurried. He always manages to turn up exactly whatever he needs to turn up. And we can take that truth into our lives as we work forwards into 2020. Uh, guys, as, as we get ready for a new year, uh, I think as I'm getting older and the kiddies and see more life, uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure necessarily that I can ever say, well, next year's going to be the best year yet. All I, all I ever can really promise, because that's what's been promised to you and I, 
is this God of power and tenderness says, if you follow me, I'll walk with you. Trust me. Trust me. Watch. Learn. Most importantly, rest in this liminal space. Don't miss the opportunity in these liminal spaces, these hell hallways, those in-betweens where we don't think that we know what he's really doing. Time and time again, Jesus says, that's where my little nuggets of gold are. That's where my lessons for you are. That's where my life transformation happens. That's the crucible in which I form you into all that I am making you into be. Don't miss those opportunities, guys. And so as we come to the table this morning for communion, um, let us not forget, it's so easy to say, each and every week, Jesus never calls us to do anything that he hasn't first been through himself. And when he went to Gethsemane and he cried, cried out, Father, if it be your will, take this cup from me. It was, it was his way of saying, God, <laughs> the Romans are coming. We've got the whole cross thing. It seems like, you know, hello, if you're going to show up, now could be a really good time. <laughs> Jesus himself understood the anxiety to the point of sweating blood, of what it feels like to be in the middle of a liminal moment to be in the middle of a space where it feels like the God is unreasonably delayed. And only through the truth of both his death and his resurrection can we know and can we trust, even when it feels like he's delayed, that our God for us will show up right at the right time. Stop, reflect on that as we eat and drink the emblems this morning. You don't have to be a member of this church to take communion. If you're a follower of Jesus, then that's his invitation to you. Uh, friend, if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, I hope that you would, as, as I said, you would see him just that little bit more clearly this morning. And that, and that most importantly, you would see the remarkable resource that we have as followers of Jesus, that we can trust uh, that, that God, as we've been seeing this morning, is working in the waiting that he's working while we worship him. Only Christians are the people that have the resource in the middle of their pain and their suffering that they can turn around and praise him. That's a remarkable resource that's available to you as you move into your 2020. Don't leave this place without giving it some consideration. And you can receive him this morning. Now, not through by getting yourself together, not by stitching everything up in 2019. And, you know, I see a lot of people, they sort of head towards a new year and they say, you know what, I think I'm going to take up yoga and Pilates and I might take up Jesus. You know? <laughs> Don't take up Christianity. Christianity takes you up. Place yourself under the trust of the one that is full of power and of tenderness and watch what he does in your life. You can do that this morning through placing your faith in him. Let's come to the table now. Let's eat. Let's drink. Um, and let's not waste this space, church, as we sit right in the middle of 2019, 2020, uh, to look at the times in which we feel God's let us down, he's delayed us, but most importantly to come back and to be prepared to be with him as he is with us as we move forward into next year. Let me pray. Father, I just pray for anyone this morning, Lord God, that is struggling and wrestling with the ways in which you seem to be absent or delayed in their life. Father, I would pray through your Holy Spirit if there be some small way in which your word this morning and the example of your son would bring them peace and comfort and boldness in that. Father, I pray that you would do that work of ministry now. Father, for those of us that are in the good times, prepare our hearts, make us wise, make us ready 
seed something in our hearts this morning, Heavenly Father, that, that your Spirit will help us to recall in those moments in which we would need it most. Lord Jesus, as a church family, help us to trust you more as your disciples prayed. Increase our faith, Lord. And I know in my own life, I, I pray with many this morning, Lord, that there are moments in which I wish you would just hurry up. <laughs> I wish you would do something miraculous. And yet something's yet to happen. Father, help me help us in that space this morning as we commune to you, with you. Speak to us, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. For more info and all the latest Northside news and events, visit northsidechurch.org.au or download our app today.